Hello, and welcome to my lecture series. My name is Nick Lugo, and thank you for being here. Before we get started, I just want to give an explanation or a reminder as to why you're here and why I do these lectures in the first place. It may seem true to you that the reason to come to one of these lectures, or a lecture in general, is to learn, and you wouldn't be wrong, but it's much more than that. You're here to act. The learning part is obvious, but not the acting. Often, I, more than anybody else, know how to act, but simply just don't act. For example, it's not a groundbreaking discovery that going to the gym is important. This is something that we all know. Yet, the hardest part is, and I'll say it again, action. As you know, the lectures that I'll take you through are hero stories, and there is much to learn from them. Therefore, the first lesson to learn from these stories and these movies is a simple one, one that you already know. Heroes follow their heart. They don't think about following their heart. It is action that separates the heroes from the rest. The goal of this lecture is to facilitate thought and action, as the two are so desperately intertwined. Therefore, I make this statement that I say with absolute conviction. If this lecture series does not change the actions you take in this world, then I have failed you. This idea of action is one that I explore with incredible depth in these lectures. Finally, if you're looking for a more direct way to act, I suggest you check out my new book, Breaking Your Bad Habits in 150 Pages, A Hero's Journey. My book takes these abstract lessons and applies them directly to you and any bad habit or human weakness that you might be struggling with. I place you in the shoes of a hero and show you how to be both a thinker and a doer, all in 150 pages for those of you who don't consider themselves readers. You can find the book on Amazon by searching it or by clicking the link in this video. Now, let's get on to the lecture. <sighs> okay, welcome. Lecture six, part six, Moana. We are here. This is the last lecture. This is the final part of Moana. And well, thank you for sticking through. If you stuck through, if this is your first time watching the Moana lecture series, click right up there and you are going to start with lecture one because then you could understand the entire psychology of Moana and how it could actually apply to your life. But for those people who stuck around, for the people who watched one through five, let's pick up where we left off. For those people who didn't watch, you could just start here if you want to. This is really, this is, this is where it gets good. So, so if you want to stick around, you can stick around. So, um, last, so we'll get to where we left off last lecture. Last lecture, we left off with the hero's, heroine's journey and how it sort of played out, you know, and well, I really like what they did here. So what they did was they took the, the heroine's journey and they infused it inside the hero's journey. So if we're going to keep going with the hero's journey structure that we used for the first four lectures, we could just use this as a as a necessary step. So, you know, this is where we started at lecture five, and this is just the trials and tribulations, helping Maui and, and, um, helping Maui and learning how to sail and, you know, facing this crab, you know, all these things and, you know, discovering a little bit deeper into herself. All of these things are just the trials and tribulations that happen along the hero's journey. They just infused a heroine's journey within the giant hero's journey. And it's just part of the trials and tribulations, which I thought was really cool. 
But anyways, um, yeah, right. Like here's a hero's journey. Maui is essentially the mentor, and he teaches her how to um, how to wayfind and how to command the seas and all that stuff. Teaches her all the skills. So really, she's he's essentially just your traditional mentor, but but it's more of a symbiotic relationship, which I thought was really cool. But now let's just pick up where we left off, really, at the um, the hero's journey part of Moana, where Moana is the hero. We already got to the part where um, where Maui was the hero. Now let's get to the part where Moana was a hero. So they arrive at Tefiti, right? Or they arrive at Tikha, right? And um, and Maui goes and fights him. You know, it's sort of like the mentor and the um, and Moana fight together. Obviously, a little bit difficult. And here's one of the here, here's a strong idea, and and this was the idea that that's really permeated throughout this whole thing. Maui hasn't learned one thing yet. One thing that he hasn't learned is that he still believes that he could fight Teka, right? He still believes that you could take your ego and just you know, and just defeat this giant monster. And this is a really good angle of just you know watching Maui's about to swing right and try to try to help. Um, Moana crossed the boat, crossed this little like gorge. But the the thing is really, you know, this idea that Maui could take down Teka is is so flawed, right? It's flawed in the idea that we could use this little ego, you know, this little conscience that that exists within us, you know, and um and take down this giant animalistic um device that exists within us. It's almost impossible. Karyum, he he calls it's funny because we talk about this and yeah, I'll explain it here. So, so I was talking to my friend the other day or we were in class and we were talking about this idea of, you know, flow, getting into the, getting into flow. And you know, that, that period where you're just working and for 90 minutes and you just work super hard and you look up, you're like, wait, where did the time go? Right. That is an unconscious process. That's that's a subconscious process. We could we could really understand that. You can't really like just say, all right, ne next ninety minutes, I'm going into it, and then automatically get into it. It's something that has to happen naturally. So you ask the question. It's like, how do you how do you do that? And the clear answer is, you can't will yourself to get into flow, right? Just like you can't will yourself to um to work out every single day for the next year, right? Because eventually your willpower kind of dies out. That's the idea with grocery shopping, right? How they say you win when you when you shop, right? If you were to bring a chocolate bar and just leave it on the front table, right? Leave it on your kitchen table. You could willpower it for maybe like a, a week for two weeks, you know, you could, you could leave that chocolate sitting out and for about one to two weeks, you could just kind of like push away the temptation and not really have to deal with it. But if you leave it there for, t for a month and it's just sort of sitting on that kitchen table, at one point your willpower is going to break and you're just going to, you know, you're going to, you're going to eat the chocolate. You're going to relapse. Right. And, um, and that's the idea. You take this little ego, which is Maui, right. And then you take this giant unconscious here, this giant, um, we'll say controlling mechanism, right? The thing that actually controls your behaviors and your decisions, 
you put them against each other, and maybe maybe Maui's gonna hold up a little bit, but it's 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 no match. It's no match for what um, Jung would call the super supraordinate personality, which is literally the thing that encapsulates you. So imagine, you know, we like to think that we're above our our unconscious, but really we're sort of within the middle of it, you know, because you look at something like your unconscious and you say your unconscious includes something like this animalistic temptation, like a tikka, right? But it also includes something a little bit above you, right? It includes spirituality. It includes um, meaning, right? Those things and love, right? Those three things, spirituality, meaning, and love. You ask the question, can you will yourself to love somebody? That's impossible, right? We know that. Can you will yourself to have meaning? Can you say, you know, I really want to be a, I really want to be an artist, but I'm just going to choose to be a doctor and I'm just going to will myself to do it. I'm just going to tell myself that I'm going to like it. You know, obviously that never works. Doctors actually have one of the highest rates of suicide in professions, which is actually very, very scary. And then the same thing happens with with religion. You know, I spent a lot of time my freshman year of college trying to will myself to be a Christian. Be like, okay, I don't really believe in God that much. I don't really like this this Christian idea of God. And there are so many moral problems I have with it and just doesn't sit right with me. But I'm just going to will myself to do it. And, you know, it worked for about a month. And then... um and then slowly it started to fade away. And that's that's sort of how it is, because we have this little ego figure, right? This little consciousness figure, but we just can't control anything that exists, you know, beyond our in in the emotional or spiritual realm. We just can't do it. But we but that's the original sin of, of humans, and I think that's the original sin of our society. We believe that we can. We believe that we just, you know, just will yourself to do it and you could do it. It's like no. No, the answer actually lies within here, right? We're, we're going to find how we solve this original sin. So anyways, Moana takes a, makes a stupid decision, right? And, um, and she messes up Maui's hook, right? And well, the problem with Maui's hook is, you know, he puts all of his, he puts all of his ego in that hook and you can tell that he's still self-interested because he still wants to, um, he still wants to keep his hook, right? And, well, that's one of the things that he has to get over. So they get into this argument, right? Without my hook, I'm nothing, you know? And, and she, she still, well, this is, this is one of Moana's fundamental problems. And this is the problem that you're going to experience when you go through life is you, you keep acting and doing things that you don't really know why you're doing them. Right, so the thing with Moana, she says the ocean chose me, and that's why I'm on this. That's why I spent this entire, um, my entire life going on this mission. But the thing is, she has no idea why exactly she went on this mission. She just kind of went, right? She just kind of did it. She received all these little cues and said, "Okay, I'm just going to do it." A good example of this is, um, is well, in real life. In real life, there was a um, there was a study. What they did was they gave, uh, they gave subjects, right? They gave them money. $5, was it 10 or 20? I think it was 20. No, it was 10. So $5, $10, and then they gave the other group $5, $10. And one of the groups, uh, they said, spend this money by the end of today on yourself. So spend either the $5 or the $10, spend it on yourself and get whatever you want and then come back. The other group, they said, 
spend it on someone else. You have to give this money to someone else, either buy them some Starbucks coffee, buy them a meal, whatever, but you have to give um, this, you have to buy something and give it to someone else. So then they asked them the question. They said, okay, before you go out and do this, which one do you think is gonna make you the happiest, right? So, well, they asked the group, they said, how happy do you think you're gonna be after spending 10 on yourself, five on yourself, five on someone else, 10 on someone else? And the unequivocal answer, right, was I think I'm going to be happiest when I give $10 for myself. Makes sense, right? I get the best things. I get the best whatever. And you make the prediction, right? We have this this internal mechanism saying this is what's going to make me happy. $10 of spending it on myself. So you go through the experiment. People do it right. And then you come back and... um and then they, they ask you, okay, what'd you spend it on? And how happy did that make you? And funny enough, which one do you think was the happiest? 10 to someone else, five to someone else, five to, for them, or 10 for them? The happiest group was the person who spent $5 on someone else. And you ask, how does that make sense? And the reason why is because, well, first of all, we feel good giving to others. We just don't do it often. And um, and the problem with giving money to yourself, right, is that it's very fleeting, right? So for example, you buy Starbucks coffee, you feel good for about 20 minutes, but when you come back to the lab, that didn't offer you, it offered you momentary happiness, but this is not the happiness that we're really looking for, you know? And then you look for the, um, the $10, the person who spent $10 on someone else, they felt a little inferior because they were thinking, wait a second, I gave $10, I could have given them 20, I could have given them 30, why 10? 10 is such an arbitrary number. And it actually made it actually bothered them because money was so much of a factor, right? It, was, it wasn't like I did a good thing and that's it, right? Like I bought someone a coffee or something like I opened a door for them. It's something simple that you could do to, to make someone feel good. What they were thinking was I did something good for someone and money was a factor. So the reason why the five group was the happiest was because they did something good for someone else and it was completely in the, we'll say, emotional realm, right? It didn't have to do with how much money you're giving them. It was just a good deed, a good favor for someone else and it actually made them feel really good. And <laughs> well, you asked the question, this is, this is the fundamental question. Why is it that we were wrong? Why, when we predicted our happiness, why were we wrong? And that's the unfortunate reality. Whenever we try to predict our happiness, sometimes we don't even know what's going to make us happy, right? And that's that's the traditional thing of like, you know, uh, somebody going to finance accounting lawyer doctor saying, this is what's going to make me happy. This is what's going to bring me success. But the truth is you really have no idea what is going to make you happy? We predict wrong. We believe that we know ourselves, but in reality, we don't. And that's one of the fundamental flaws in humans. And um, well, that's that's the problem with Moana here. So Moana says, I went on this, this, um, this journey because the ocean chose me. It's like, what does that mean, right? She's like, I just felt a bunch of cues, a bunch of things happened to me, and I just sort of went along with it. I wasn't, I wasn't in touch with myself. And well, she's a little bit ignorant here, right? And that's that's really true because whenever you, well, whenever she says, I'm going on a, a mission, you better hope that it's going to make you happy, right? And that's that's sort of the naivety that goes along with going on a hero's journey. And, um, and Maui comes back and says it shows wrong. 
right? So the thing is, maybe Maui's right, right? Maybe Maui's right to some degree. You know, Moana said, I am going to do something and this is going to make me happy. But then Maui says, you have no idea who you are and you have no idea what you want. So how do you know what the hell is going to make you happy? Right? That's such an unfortunate reality for humans because we're such big planners, right? We're such planners. We say, okay, what am I going to do tomorrow? What am I going to do for the next five years? What am I going to do for my career? Right? Like that's the fundamental question that you have as a, as an adolescent going into the world. And well, the fundamental assumption is this is going to make me the maybe happiest is the wrong word, but most fulfilled, you know, most satisfied, whatever. And we are so, well, first of all, we're so flawed, right? We're so naive. We're only 17, 18 years old. We don't know ourselves well enough. And therefore we don't know what's going to make us happy. So we go throughout our entire lives and we realize, okay, I thought this was going to make me happy, but I was wrong. And that's something that they pursue in soul a lot, you know, in the movie soul, they really say, you know, the guy spent his entire time, he just wanted to perform jazz. That was all it was. And he wanted to become big and all that stuff. But then once he actually reached the top, once he actually did it, he looks at the woman and says, you know, he looks at the the um, the woman in the club, you know, the one who he played jazz with and said, why is this not as good as I thought it would be? And the answer is, you didn't know who you are. So Moana... Um, has this realization, right? Like maybe, maybe I don't, and maybe I'm, I'm a little confused. And this is the point where the grandma comes, right? This is the point where the mentor or the self comes, the, the adventurous side of herself comes in and, um, she, she's almost like a God figure kind of, but it, it, there's a lot. There's a lot of ways that you could look at it, but it's a really common archetype. Like when I when I watched this movie, I was actually a little disappointed because you see this archetype so often. But that's what makes it an archetype. It's good, you know. You see this in Lion King, right? In Lion King, you have Simba's father comes back. It's almost the exact same thing. In Star Wars, you have the um, you have the like the dead Jedi's, right? You have Obi Wan Kenobi he gets killed, and then he comes back. He says even more powerful than um even more powerful than you could have ever imagined, right? And then also the same thing happens in Harry Potter or Dumbledore and all the all the Hogwarts head, headmasters, they show up in those paintings, right? Even after they die. So it shows that, well, this is, this is the thing that we learned in the beginning, right? So we said when the grandma died, right? Oh, come on, I gotta find it right there. She says, there is nowhere you could go that I won't be with you. And that is the meaning behind them dying, right? The meaning behind the grandma dying is that Moana integrates the grandma into her personality and therefore she is the grandma, right? And that's exactly what this means. This is the manifestation of that. When the grandma shows up, this is saying she's not getting in touch with some spiritual grandma. She's getting in touch with the part of herself that she integrated. And well, you do this all the time, you know, like we... This can be something that's so abstract, but you do this all the time. You know, I ask the question all the time. I'm sitting there and let's say I'm in a social situation and I'm a little bit awkward. So I pick, uh, usually I go with Tony Robbins, right? Tony Robbins. I say, what would Tony Robbins do in this situation? Right? Just asking that simple question. What would Tony Robbins do in this situation? Then I essentially say, okay, I'm going to start acting like Tony Robbins and therefore I am going to 
unleash the Tony Robbins part of myself and integrate that into my personality for the moment. That's exactly what, what Moana is doing here. She says, okay, what would grandma do in this situation? One of the things that Christians do very well, and this is something that they really influence is they, uh, that really influences their thinking is they ask the question, what would Jesus do, right? What would Jesus do in this situation? And if Jesus wouldn't do that, then don't do it, right? And that's essentially getting in touch with your conscience. Um, another one was Teddy Roosevelt. He had, he had on his wall, he would sit down something like this and he'd look up at the ceiling and there would be a picture of Abraham Lincoln. And whenever he was having a tough decision, he'd look up and he'd say, what would Lincoln do? Right? What would Abraham Lincoln do? And that's a great question, right? Because he's essentially putting himself in the shoes of someone else. He's integrating the, we'll say, wise part of him into his decision making. And that's exactly what Moana is doing here. She's saying, okay, what would an adventurous person do? And what would my grandma do? It's the same idea because the grandma is the figure, the representation for the um, for the grandma, right? So then what happens? What happens next? This is, well, what you must do is a, is a good way of, it's a good way of putting it. She realizes, she looks at um, essentially her past again, right? She goes back into her past and she says, you know, right there, I, I made the picture nice and big here, right? So this is the um, this is the tribal ancestors or we'll say the adventurous ancestors. And, um, and in Moana's struggle to find out who she is, right? Because she clearly has no idea who she is. She looks to her past. She looks to her potential, her genetic potential. And that's exactly what she did back when she went into the cave, right? She said, right here, right, where she goes into the cave and she sees, okay, we were voyagers, all that stuff. And she says, okay, this was our past. Well, that's exactly what she's doing. She's going back here and she's saying, who am I? I am the person that has the potential to be an adventurer. And I'm going to get in touch with the adventurous side of myself, which is the representation of the grandma. And then also, I'm going to see how far my genetic potential can take me because People have done this before, right? Like I am not the first person to do this. Maybe I'm the first person to do this in this specific category, but people have been heroes before. People have succeeded in their hero's journey and people also have um, been successful. And it's almost ignorant to, to say, I'm just gonna go on it my own. I'm just gonna figure it out. Because if you, if you don't, discover the people of the past, then you're essentially gonna have to reinvent the wheel. And it's just, well, it took these people years, years to come up with the answers. And I think the greatest part about it is the people who spent all this time coming up with the answers, right? So we'll say Benjamin Franklin's a good example because he wrote maybe one of the best autobiographies of all time. He put these adventurers, put it in a book and then they give it to you. So it's like, here's the thing that took me 50 years to figure out. Here you go. It, you, could, you could figure it out in seven hours if you read this book. That's a powerful, powerful lesson. That's what movies are. That's what stories are, right? Stories are, here are the lessons that I learned. Here's the um, journey that I went on and here's how successful it was. Good luck. You don't have to, you don't have to struggle in the way that I struggled. And, um, well, that's why I believe it's ignorant that people don't read books because it's like 
you have no idea. You have no idea how much you are ignorant about the best way of doing things. You could, somebody has been in your exact problem before. Somebody has struggled in the exact way that you have before and they've succeeded and they, they have lessons to carry on. And if you decide not to, you know, research and by research, I mean, reading a book is the best way of doing it, but there's also, you know, just researching. If you don't do that, then you are literally going to go through the same timeful, painstaking process of, well, something that's completely unnecessary. Completely unnecessary. Humans have been around for 200,000 years, you know, and we've been writing for 10,000, something like that. So why, why in our ignorance do we say, I could figure it out, instead of just saying, Maybe someone has already figured it out and I don't have to go through this problem. And that is the idea in, well, you see this in Moana, but it's, that's the strongest idea in Lion King, right? The Lion King is the idea of the circle of life. The circle of life says that each generation must progress on top of each other. I think that it was a line in Dead Poet Society. It was, it was a great, great line where they say, um, Robin, Robin Williams character, he says, um, Humanity itself is just a poem, and all I must do is add another line. And I like that because exactly what it says is each, each generation just must take the lessons from the previous generation, the good things that they had, and build upon it, and then all the bad things take off of it. You don't have to reinvent the wheel when you do everything. You know, it's like whenever you say you're going to go on a, this is, this is the biggest problem I see with people who, um, who want to, we'll say, quit whatever, right? Um, quitting smoking is the best example. So when people try to quit smoking, it's a sad, sad thing. They say, okay, I'm just going to take my, my, um, my jewel, right? Usually jewel, but we'll say cigarettes also. I'm just going to take it, throw it down in the toilet and flush. And it's the beginning of my new life. How wonderful, right? Unfortunately, that strategy has a 95% failure rate. 95%. Simple. And for the people who try that strategy, on average, it takes them nine times to quit. And that doesn't include the amount of people that quit before they hit the ninth time right? Nine attempts. How insane is that? But then if you were to, we'll say, read um, a book on it, right? Which which is exactly why I wrote this book, right? But, you know, quick plug. But, you know, or like I read Alan Carr's, um, what was it? Alan Carr's Easy Way to Stop Smoking. That that method has like, well, he cl- he claims that it's a lot better than what the scientific studies have shown. So uh, you don't really know, but you know, Alan Carr has a method that he's literally, he worked with smokers and had a, had a great method that, um, that worked in his clinical practice and he was making money off this. It's like, why not just read his a hundred page book? Or, you know, in my case, I made a 150 page book just to attain a simple amount of wisdom that will increase your likelihood of success and make sure that you don't have to do this rigorous testing. Why not just, well, learn from the people of the past? That's one of the things that baffles my mind. We don't have this, this instinct doesn't lie within us. We, we never developed this instinct to learn from people of the past. And um, 
well, the only the only way that I really see people trying to learn from that is through stories. And stories, well, the problem with stories is they're incredibly abstract. You know, if you look at something like a story, it's like it's not obvious that this is the meaning behind it, right? It's like you you have to spend a lot of time thinking about it, and that's why I've spent a lot of time thinking about it. But it's not the amount of lessons that you actually get from it are very, very slim. And, it, and it's it's hard to take the lessons that you apply from a story and apply it to your real life. That's the exact reason why I created this series. And that's the exact reason why I wrote my book. Because I said, you know, my whole purpose, my whole purpose of all of this is to really bridge the gap between stories and factual information. Or we'll say helpful information, right? Because if you, if you could take something, a story like Moana and... Um, and make it factual and make it interesting, then you have something something that people will watch and then you also have something that people will learn from. The problem with stories is that people don't learn from it as much. It's a little too, we'll say, encoded. And, um, well, that's why you should, we'll say, encounter the genetic potential of the past. You know, that's why you should encounter, in Moana's case, the grandpa, right? Or we'll say the ancestors, or by ancestors, you could, yeah, you could abstract and say someone like Benjamin Franklin. He's just another human who has gone through the struggles before and knows what to do. And, um, and that's what Moana does. So, so this is what happens when you, when you engage in a good story, or you engage in a book. You don't take the lessons and like something like Benjamin Franklin, right? If you, if you read his autobiography, it's not like you just take the lessons and take them at face value and you're like, okay, maybe I should do this, 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 and this. You take it and you apply it to your life, right? So you say, okay, I agree with that rule. I disagree with that rule. And maybe I could take, we'll say, you know, well, he had one rule about uh, alcohol, right? About temperance. So let's say one of his rules was drink only to... Uh, Drink only to elevation, not to dullness, something like that. And um, that's a good rule. So maybe you take that and you say, all right, maybe I've been drinking a little too much and maybe I should apply that to my life. But if, if you don't drink, then you don't really care. Then it doesn't really matter. So the whole purpose is you take the, the lessons from the past. You take the genetic potential, if you want to look at it that way, from the past and you apply it to you. And therefore, you could take that understanding and then help it understand or help that derive who you are, right? Through an introspective process, you could say, wait a second, this really stuck out to me, therefore I'm gonna apply it to my life and therefore I understand myself a little bit better. And that's exactly what it means when she comes to this big conclusion at the end, which is really cliche in my opinion, where she goes, I am Moana, right? Where she says, I am Moana, I know who I am and I know, well, the, the more important thing is I know why I'm doing this. Right? I know why I am going on my goals in the first place. This is not something where I'm just going to um where I'm just stumbling along like a child. You know, this is a maturity process. This is a mature moment, right? And you see this in the Matrix, right? The, the, it's the same thing, right? Where, you know, in the Matrix, they say, like, who are you? You know, and he says, I am Neo. You know, it's his name, and he just, you know goes into god mode essentially and just like wins you know just super simple you know on a i think it's cliche but it, but it's it's a little bit too direct 
but it works for me. It works for me. So you have, she says, I am Moana. She finds out who she is. And not only that, but she finds out what her individual um, goal is in relation to, um, her goal is in relation to, you know, progress, you could say, right? Whatever her goal is, she says, this is, oh yes, in relation to her, right? She goes into saying, okay, I know exactly what is going to work for me. And that's a good way of putting it because, you know, you think there are these, especially for like, that was exactly what I was saying with Benjamin Franklin, you know, he has this idea, right? And these were the 13 ideas. He had 13 rules. You know, his 13 rules were things that worked for him, right? But maybe only seven of those work for you, but that's okay, right? That's the purpose. You need to determine how everything could help you understand yourself. And then you say, okay, if I apply these seven rules, if I apply the life lessons that I could take from, we'll say this lecture series, then this is going to help me. And that's all that really matters, right? This is going to help me on my individual mission. And well, that's the thing. Who cares about the other six six lessons. They're not going to help you. So that's what you do, right? That's what you do. You take everything to see how it helps you. So then, um, oh, I forgot to say this. She, before, before she met the grandma, she threw the, the, um, the heart of Tefiti away. So she gets the heart of Tefiti. Grandma's gone. She realizes, okay, I had this amazing experience and now, now, now I'm on my own. Now I got to do it. So she has this, you know, motivation where she's actually, you know, aligned like her values and and her um understanding of herself and her goal structure are completely aligned and um and then you could say that she's ready right you could say that she's ready to face teka so she goes and she faces teka and um well she looks so <laughs> it's funny right so she looks like she's about screwed and um and then obviously maui comes back and and um well, <laughs> he <laughs> Maui clearly still hasn't learned, which which is quite the problem, right? Because we we came to the conclusion in the beginning that original sin is is this, right? Where Maui takes the hook, tries to hit um, Teka, and he fails, right? So what does Maui do again? He does essentially the same exact thing, which. Well, hopefully he learns by the end. There's really no clear indication that Maui learns, but we learn because Moana learns. So Maui tries to fight Teka, and once again, we realize that that is not going to work, right? You see, he um, he lost his hook, right? But that, but that's that's the whole purpose. The whole purpose of Maui's character is he's going to... He's an egotistical guy who left and... Um, and is only focused on himself. But finally, he does an act that is out of his out out of the area of his self-interest right so he's not self-interested he's doing this by sacrificing himself you see that same idea in han solo like the han solo character where um you know super super egotistical super self-interested right but then in episode four he comes back and he saves luke and they blow up the death star right same thing with loki and thor right same idea super egotistical really self-interested um always deceives his brother thor but then he um but then he does the good thing and then you also have what was the other one professor snape and um and harry potter it's the same thing you know really teetering the edge between good and evil because that's what the ego is you know it's like they're 
if you're possessed by your ego, you can either have the good part of it or the bad part of it. And well, it's a matter of which one you get to choose. And, and obviously in all these hero stories, you have the egotistical character who finally says, maybe I'm going to pursue um, something that goes beyond self-interest. I'm going to pursue life. And that is the end of the heroine's journey, right? That is, that is how Maui goes from a self-interested character, which if we're going to go in into the sexual metaphor, because that's exactly what it is. You know, we th this movie takes sex completely out of the picture, but like a heroine's journey is all about sex. Like that is that is exactly what it is. You take a male um character, right? You take a guy, right? And um and you who's aggressive, egotistical, and then you tame him, right? And then then you have kids with him because he's going to be a good father and he's going to be protective, right? That's that's the evolutionary hero's journey. And if you want to learn more about that, that's that's what the entire lecture 5 was about. So um so well, if you look at that from a um, from a from a sexual perspective, you could say, okay, maybe the male is self interested. Self interest could represent the fact that he only wants to have sex, and that's essentially what males are. You know, what males are very good at separating sex and emotion. Women, or at least in our society, women not as much. So, um, so that's that's the representation of the the egotistical hero. And I'm watching. Um, I'm reading this book. It's called A Billion Wicked Thoughts, and they they, it's it's a really good book. Like what they take is the female um, literature that they read, like the romantic and erotical erotic literature, and they say what are the guys like, what are the girls like, and you know what what is this archetype that really exists? And the well, one of the archetypes is the womanizer, right? Um, who has sex with all the women, right? Who is incredibly self interested. You know that's Beauty and the Beast. That's, um, there was one other one. Man, oh, Cinderella. Cinderella, it's the same thing where the, um, where the prince, you know, essentially gets to choose whichever girl he wants. And, um, and obviously then what happens is he chooses Cinderella and, and then the woman gets to tame him. The woman gets to say, okay, there are a billion women that you could choose, but you're going to choose me and you're going to put away your self-interest, which is sex in that case for something that's a little bit out of your self-interest which is love right which is which requires sacrifice and um and meaning and and life itself you know you could say love is a representation of life itself so um well that's that's the heroine's journey like through and through if you um if you want to go with that and watch watch beauty and the beast i'm actually making a beauty and the beast lecture right now and um and that's that's like the we'll say archetypal meaning so um so maui lets her pass and we'll say maybe that's the end of the heroine's journey and now you have um moana gets to go on her hero's journey and she finds okay i have to restore the heart to tefiti and she finds that tefiti is gone and here's something that you could see you know this is it's subtle, but I actually, I, I caught this. I was happy about this. It, you see, there's the figure of the woman here. All right, like here's her hair, here's her face, here's her feet, right? And you have this figure of the woman here. And you could say that literally life itself was removed, right? And um, was removed from the land. I like that. So, and then where does life exist? Life exists in Teka. So here's, here's the final lesson that we're going to learn from this. 
And this was the thing that I've been building up for this whole time. And this is why I wanted to do Moana. So I'm going to be very excited about this. This is the right way of doing a movie. This is the right way. This is the way that I wanted. I want every single movie to be made. I think this is so, so good. The way that they end this movie. Because when you look at... Okay, okay, so we'll back this up. We'll back this up. So when you look at the fundamental flaw is we believe that we could fight our nature. We believe that we could fight our impulse. And if you look at almost every single hero's story, right, where the hero fights the dragon or the hero, um, you know, slays just the bad guy, right? Harry kills, Harry Potter kills Voldemort, you know, how the Avengers kill Thanos, you know? You could say that that is the wrong way of looking at it there's there's another interpretation that that i think works you know and that's the interpretation of um you're fighting off a potential part of you right a potential manifestation of you so like for example you have person a and person a could go on path one or path two and you could say harry potter could have been harry potter but he also has the potential to be voldemort because voldemort is well they're they're essentially equal right that's that's one of the biggest parts you know uh, Harry has a part of Voldemort, which is his scar, as a kid, right? And they're tagged as equals. They're essentially equal in power, equal in scope as they go along. And, um, and well, so when Harry decides to fight Voldemort, right, he's essentially saying, I'm gonna, f I'm gonna choose path A, right, which is the Harry Potter path, and I'm gonna defeat the potential avatar that I could be, the potential person B that I could be. And, um, and if I beat off that person, that pers that manifestation of my potential self, then I become person A. That's that's the conf confrontation um, understanding, and that's really that's really really well done in in The Lion King, where you have you know Simba and Scar, and in in an alternate world, which is exactly what this sort of um, potential future scenario looks like, Simba could easily be Scar. He could easily be the resentful dictator who um, who mischaracterizes and not mischaracterizes mistreats all of his people right but when when um when simba decides to defeat scar he's saying i'm defeating that potential person of myself that that manifestation of my personality that manifestation of my ego is um is not it's gone it's gone and i'm gonna choose to be simba that's the confrontation um you know, we'll say symbolism, but it it's a little encoded because then it, it could also be a, a representation of repression, right? Where you're saying, okay, you know, I have, for example, let me see if I could find a good example. Well, someone like the Avengers and Thanos, you know, when you look at when you look, look at the Avengers movies, it's like Thanos. It's not very clear that Thanos is a villain, you know, like the 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 makers of the Avengers movies, the um. The Russo brothers, they wanted to name Avengers Infinity War, the third Avengers movie, they wanted to name it Thanos instead of Avengers Infinity War because it, it was essentially the hero's journey of Thanos if you really watch it. And um, and they couldn't because they were, you know, you were essentially heroizing. Heroizing? We'll do it. We were heroizing a villain, right? But it's not clear that he's a villain because he's very rational. He's very well put together. And, um, and to say that you're going to defeat him, to say that you're going to fight him is... 
Well, that's the problem that a lot of a lot of people have with Muslims, right? Muslims, they have this idea of the holy war, right? The holy war and fighting and, and violence and all these things. And well, it's not wrong, right? It's not wrong if you say maybe you're fighting off this wrong manifestation of yourself, but at the same time, it's you have to look deeper behind the symbolism. In Moana, however, it shows the correct path in in Jung's interpretation as well as as well as the well, it's just a well as well as the psychological interpretation. So I could I could go through it. So you have um, clearly now now it becomes obvious to Moana that Tefiti and Teka are the same person, right? So um, so Moana realizes okay. Everybody in the past says that maybe we should fight off the innate parts of ourselves, right? We should fight off life, right? And that is the original sin. That is Maui's sin where he says, maybe we should fight off the animal side of myself, you know, and that's the representation of fighting off um, sexual impulses, aggression, right? And, um, and homo- uh, bisexuality as well as, you know, fighting sleep. We, we went through all this. By repressing, um, by repressing ourselves, which is the well, which is the creator of Teka, which is the part that creates the the negative manifestation of well, whatever, right? Like we'll say, if you're low on sleep and sleep is a representation of life, then um, then you're going to turn into Teka because you're going to be angry, you're going to be mean, you know. That's something that was actually proven you look at you look at like managers the if 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 a manager is low on sleep his employees will will rate him more abusive and more aggressive the following day so i mean you know it's actually it's actually true right this this actually reigns true and moana says i'm going to show it life because it is life itself maybe i'm not going to choose to fight it and she chooses to we'll say love it you know like show you know Show it respect is a better way of saying it. And um, and then what does she do? She puts it back, right? And um, she puts the heart of Tefiti back into Tefiti. And, um, and the meaning behind that is so beautiful. The meaning behind that is instead of fighting against your unconscious, maybe you should work with it. Maybe you should work with it. Think back to the the idea that I put up before that um you know if if you say that you're gonna work out twenty hours twenty hours a month and you actually work out six, then maybe you shouldn't say you're gonna work out twenty five the next month. Maybe you should say ten. You know maybe you should negotiate. Jordan Peterson says you should negotiate with yourself. So you know if you're if you're creating a schedule for your day, maybe if you haven't worked out in a while, maybe you shouldn't say I'm gonna work out three hours today and then I'm gonna put in six hours of work and then maybe I'm gonna I'm gonna um you know read for the next five hours and then that's my day because if you do that, then you're never gonna get your feet off the ground because then your unconscious is gonna. Well, you're going to turn it to Teka because you're repressing the part of you that wants to relax. You know, that's a, that's a part of you, you know. Think about it as like Garfield, right? It's the Garfield part of you. I, I like to think of it that way because he's a, he's a potential manifestation of yourself. Winnie the Pooh, same character, right? And um, maybe you shouldn't fight it. Maybe you should compromise. and Maybe you should negotiate with yourself and say, you know what? I haven't worked out that much. I should work out 
maybe 10 minutes tomorrow, just 10 minutes. Just one little change, one little 10 minute change, and then you slowly build it up, and then slowly you get to, um, well, so here's the idea. So then slowly you get to work with your unconscious, and the part of you that, the part of you that has control over your behavior is going to be the goddess right? It's not going to be teka. And that's exactly what I mean. So when I say that, um, we often say, this is what I, um, these are my values, right? I value this and these are my intentions, right? I intend to be going to the gym, but our intentions don't always match our behaviors, right? Like I intend to go to the gym, but I don't go to the gym. There's a, there's a disconnect and the disconnect is teka, right? The disconnect is, is that, um, there's a negative manifestation of, we'll say, laziness, right? So, um, so what is the answer? Maybe, maybe it is to slowly but surely not use teka and just f- push them off and say, I'm not going to be lazy today. I am going to work 16 hours straight or I'm going to, you know, um, I'm going to work out 25 hours this month or whatever. Or I'm going to work out an hour tomorrow. Maybe that's too much, right? Maybe working out for an hour, even though you worked out for an hour in the past, is too much because you are repressing the lazy, the Garfield part of you that has taken over your psyche, right? That has taken over your consciousness. So what must you do? You must work with it, right? And soon, maybe you work out, you know, this is what I did. You work out for five minutes, the next day. That's it. Five minutes. And then five minutes the next day. Because if you work out for an hour one day, you're not going to want to work out for an hour the next day. So if you could work out for five, five minutes over 30 days straight, right? You don't even have to feel sore. Call that an accomplishment because that really is an accomplishment. The problem is really consistency, right? And then you could bring it from five minutes to 10 minutes and 10 minutes to 15 minutes. And you could keep working with your unconscious. You could keep, well, Showing the goddess within you and we'll say telling the Garfield part of you, right, the the lazy part of you, you're not telling him to go away because he still gets to have his, we'll say, manifestation, but you're just saying there's a new sheriff in town, right, and um, and you could still you could still act, but you're not going to be the main driver of my personality. The main driver of my personality is going to be the goddess, right? And that's that's exactly what it means. It's going to be tefiti. It's not going to be teka. And well, that's exactly, well, that's the exact integration idea. That's the integration idea. So if you take this and apply it to across all areas, right, you're going to say, okay, maybe if I slept more, then I'm going to start acting more like the goddess. I'm going to start acting more like life itself rather than teka. So, so there's this it's this weird idea that maybe the same person that is this goddess is also the one that could that could wreak havoc. And this is this is the idea that we've been exploring this entire time. You know, when you when you lose sleep, right? When you detach from something that, well, we could say sleep is life, right? Sleep is sort of like recharging your batteries, if you want to look at it from a basic perspective, right? If you, if you detach from the, the necessities of life, 
then um, then you have this negative manifestation, and that's something that you really see, you know, often, right? There's a there was a study on um, where they tracked managers, like employers, right? They tracked their sleep, and um, and then they didn't tell the employees, and then they asked the employees, "How was your boss today?" and um, and the employees rated their boss more abusive and um, and more tyrannical. I think tyrannical was the word, but it might have been something else. But more abusive and more tyrannical when the boss was on less sleep and they had no idea how much the boss slept the night before, right? And that's, that's sort of how it is. It's like, you know, the boss, when he detached himself from life, when he was low on his batteries, you could say, he was not himself, right? He was He was animalistic. He was highly temperamental and highly angry, right? And that's that's what you see. But if you get a good night of sleep, then you could think consciously and you could be, you know, we'll say, you could get in touch with the um, divine. So, so you know, that that's the idea that we've been trying to represent this whole time. And now I get the chance to finally explain exactly what it means. So you have this um, beast, right? You have this angry, mean beast. And if this were any traditional hero movie, any movie, pick the movie, the goal for Moana would be to fight this beast. Isn't that true? Doesn't Harry fight Voldemort? Doesn't, um, we'll say, Luke fight, Luke Skywalker fight the Sith? Doesn't, you know, Batman fight the Joker, right? Actually, that, that one's a little bit abstract you know even like batman begins right the one before doesn't batman fight ra's al ghul right the the main villain don't you have in every single you know avengers killing thanos don't you have that in every single hero hero movie uh simba killing scar don't you have the hero killing the villain and then we're we're happy about that right we feel good that the hero conquers the villain you know slays the dragon and um and emerges victorious This movie says something different, and I like it so much better, like so much better. There's a there's an entire theory behind the hero slaying the dragon, and that's a, you know, and, and well, it's a little bit, it's a little, it's completely different. It's, it's out of the, the realm of this discussion, but... The idea of, well, okay, it's, it's, it's kind of in the realm, so I'll, I'll explain it a little bit, right? So when you see something like Harry Potter versus Voldemort, it's a very good example, right? Harry Potter, as a child, he was, we'll say, inflicted with evil, right? There was evil that, that, that was brought upon him in the form of a scar, right? So, you know, and throughout the time, he and Voldemort are connected, right? They're, they're marked as equals, and... The idea there is that Harry Potter and Voldemort are almost the same person, or at least they have the same background, you know, and they have the same, they have the same starting point. You imagine them as someone on a race, you know, like they're, they're both at the same point and they both actually imagine a race would be too linear. Imagine they're in a maze and they both start at the same point in the maze and they both take the first same 20 steps, right? Because that's, ha- that's what happens. They both are orphans. You know, they're both half-bloods. They both um, are incredibly, incredibly powerful, right? And, um, and they both excel in their class. So you have this, this problem that 
they're essentially the same person with the same backstory, right? And then you say, okay, so they took the first 20 steps in the maze and they're going in the same place. And then you ask the question, how does one end up like Voldemort and then how does one end up like Potter? You imagine they're both in the same place. After 20 steps, they're both in the same place. And one... So the the way of looking at it is one potential version of Harry Potter, right? Or Simba or... um, Batman begins Batman. Those are those are really good examples. Or Avengers. They're, those are all the same archetype. So one potential manifestation of one potential path that they could have chosen would be Harry Potter's path. Another potential path that they could have chosen would be Voldemort. So in a way, when they say that Harry Potter and Voldemort are marked as equals, right? And when we say that they're essentially the same person or they could be the same person, it's true. Like they literally are the same person and they are both potential Harrys. That's the thing, right? So Voldemort is a potential Harry. If Harry were to go wrong, if Harry were to make different life decisions, he could turn into Voldemort, right? Or he could be Voldemort. And, um, and you see Harry struggling with this throughout the whole time. Throughout the whole movies, he has these, you know, dark visions. There are times where he wants to, you know, uh, hurt Dumbledore, right? Which is like the um, the ultimate good guy, you could say, right? He's sort of, he's sort of like the representation of God. And um, he wants to hold, hurt Voldemort. He wants to hurt people, right? He, um, he, 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 sometimes he, he tries to do things that are called like the unforgivable curses, right? He does these things that are really, really, you know, um, vile and he has these really vile thoughts. And then you, you ask the question and he struggles with this the whole time. He's saying, why am I so similar to Voldemort? Right? Why is that so true? And then the final, the final, you know, representation at the end, right? And this is the meaning of the hero slaying the dragon. And in this case, Harry killing killing Voldemort. You know, the final representation is when Harry decides to kill Voldemort, he's killing off that potential him that he could be, right? Does that make sense? So imagine... Well, that's one of the that's one of the first things that's that's explored in Harry Potter. You know, the first thing that Harry learns from Dumbledore is it's all about the choices that you make. So um, that's in book one, and and you see as you go into you know when Harry kills Voldemort, you have that's the representation of Harry literally killing off that potential that potential path that he could potentially take, and um, and well, that's the representation. So. You imagine Harry Potter is the representation of the good ego, right? The ego expressing itself properly in the form of the hero, right? And that's establishing an individual understanding of self, right? Because we're going to make this a little bit more understanding to um, to real life. So, you know, we're going to say Harry Potter is understanding myself and um, understanding myself and having good values, roughly, right? And... Voldemort is going as deep into myself as I possibly can, but having bad values, right? And, and choosing choosing things that are anti-human, you know? And, well, Harry has the choice, right? Because he's, he's as powerful as Voldemort is. He's taken the first 20 steps in the maze. So the choice is, which one do you want to be? And when he chooses, you know, that is... So, so we could say killing off the villain, right, mm-hmm. is the ultimate choice, right? And... 
not only choice in in thought, right? So I could choose to go to the gym, right? But I'm not choosing, but that, that doesn't mean I'm, I'm, I gain muscle, right? Like choosing and doing, that is the ultimate representation of the hero, right? And killing off the villain. So when you, when you say, I am going to do something and you actually do it and you make that choice, right? That's like taking an extra, that's like taking the correct next 10 steps in the maze. When Harry does that and he kills off Voldemort, the representation in that is that he has made the correct choice and he has pursued it. And by doing that, he has chosen the path that will kill off the potential Voldemort and his, and therefore he will not be Voldemort anymore. He has no potential of being Voldemort. And so that's the, that's the representation of killing the villain. It's complex. It's weird, right? It's it's a little abstract, but that's the that's the fundamental idea. And then the idea there is you have good ego, bad ego, Harry Potter kills kills off the bad ego. And you could see that really strongly in in The Lion King, right? In The Lion King you have Simba kills Scar, right? Simba is clearly the representation of the good ego. Scar so Simba could be king, right? And since Simba could be king he could either be a good king or a tyrannical king, right? Those are the two choices, essentially, right? Obviously, obviously, it's basic because it's a children's story, but he could be a good king or a bad king. When he chooses to defeat Scar, he beats off the potential bad king that he could be, and therefore he chooses to be the good king, right? Super simple, and then he is the Lion King, right? And he's respected, and, every, and that all happens. So that's a representation of that, and therefore... So now let's relate this to Moana and see how they kind of relate, you know? So we could say that when Simba or Harry Potter chooses to be the good ego and kill off the bad ego, he's choosing to be Tefiti and not be the negative manifestation of ego, which would be um, which would be Teka, right? So that's, that's sort of the idea, right? The idea is you, you have a choice, right? You have a choice between which one of these that you want to be. And by killing off Teka, right? Like a, like a mean figure, then you, then you choose to integrate the, um, then you choose to be the, the positive manifestation of that. I like it. I don't like it as much as as Moana. You know, Moana is a little bit more meaningful and and direct. Direct's a better way of putting it. So, so the difference, right? So first we'll we'll explain the the symbolism behind Moana and then you could see which one that you like and then I'll explain the difference. So, the the whole thing is then you have Teka sort of comes at her, right? And Moana says I'm not going to fight you. Right, I under she's a, she says I know your name, right, and obviously that that goes back to um, the point where she says I am Moana, right. So she's like I understand you, I know what you are, and I'm not going to fight you because I understand that you know you're divine, right. You have some sense of divinity in you. So um, the passion, right, the passion that the the flames that come from her, the anger is sort of subdued and. Um, and she restores the heart to Tefiti, right? And then you then you have this character. 
that comes up and you realize that Tefiti, uh, Tefiti and Takara are the same person. So the meaning behind that is something that I find more direct, I find better, it, it just works better. So you're, you're to, to imagine you have a positive and negative manifestation of everything. So let's go with the idea of, let's see what we want to go with. We'll go with food, right? Food, food's a good manif- uh, a good idea because it it works. It works. It's universal. So, with food, imagine that you have this underlying urge, right, for sweets, right? Because don't we all, right? Don't we all crave? We we see food as um as something that is you know energy right but it's also pleasure right like we we can't deny that and we can't deny that there's a part of us that really enjoys food for pleasure so let's say that if we instead of looking at that as something to fight right instead of looking at as that as something something wrong how about we look at that as something worth well something that emerges from you and therefore it has some sort of value so let's say that we take this this need for pleasure from food Let's go with that. So what do you do about that? Well, there are two things that you could do about that. Well, first you could fight it, right? And when you, if you choose to fight it, then let's say you decide to go on a healthy diet and that's the representation of only eating kale, right? Only eating kale and only eating, you know, unhealthy food, uh, health, completely healthy foods, right? No sugar, no whatever, right? And, um, and well, the problem with that is you end up most likely, you know, suppressing it, right? That's like that's like being uh, Maui and trying to fight Tikka, and then eventually what happens is you relapse, right? And this is something that we experience all the time, right? You look at it and you say, okay, I'm just not going to feel pleasure from food. I'm gonna I'm gonna be completely healthy, and then after about three months, you you your ego sort of you know depletes, right? Your willpower—that's a better word. Your willpower depletes, and then you know that. That chocolate that's been waiting for you sort of just you know finds itself in your hands and you 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 say that you're like possessed right you you sort of you know you weren't really in control of your decisions and that's about right because you weren't in control of your decisions right you tried to fight it and you lost right and when you lose right when consciousness right or willpower loses then you're giving up your then you gave up your um your control and your willpower to Tekka, and Tekka, we'll say, possesses you, right? And that's, we'll say, that's one potential, if we're going to the Harry Potter example, right? That's one potential manifestation of you, right? So we'll say that's the underlying cause behind the manifestation. So instead of saying that you're, you're killing off the part of you, you're killing off the potential you, you could say, no, we're, we're hitting it at its source. And the source is this, it's this desire, this impulse to life, right? Or this impulse to pleasure. So, um, so we have this underlying cause, right? And this underlying cause is, is pleasure, right? So one potential manifestation, right? So th- that's like starting at the maze, right? One potential manifestation is um, is repression and most likely relapse. But you know, some people some people end up 
successfully, you know, successfully fighting it off. But we'll say that those people are very rare. And even if you do that, then you're denying life itself. And when you choose to deny life itself, then, well, what I've noticed is you get sort of like a kickback effect. And the kickback effect is you lose part of your spirit, right? There, there was a great metaphor. It was, um, it was Emerald Wilkins. She used a garden metaphor. She imagined that, you know, every single aspect of your personality is part of a garden, right? Or we'll say every single desire that you have to make it basic, every single desire that you have is part of a garden, right? And we'll say, you know, this desire for pleasure is like the representation of tomatoes, right? And, um, and then you have your other desires. We'll say your need for sleep is, is, you know, mushrooms and you have, you know, kale as your representation for, um, being a good person or whatever, right? And you have, we'll say, 50 different vegetables, right? And when you decide to, um, when you decide to stop watering your tomatoes, which is essentially repression, right? Then either you lose, and we'll say that would be a representation of the teka awakes, and you have mice or whatever termites. I don't, I don't know what bugs come in and eat up the rest of your garden, but that's essentially what happens. You stop watering it, the, the soil dies, and then you end up, um, the, the soil dies, and then eventually you have, it sort of spreads to the other aspects. But, um, but if you just repress it, then you just lose a part of your garden, and therefore you lose a part of yourself. So either, either way, both of those, you know, you, you really lose. The other representation is what Moana does. And this is this is the best way of doing it in my, well, from a psychological perspective, from a mythological perspective, as well as, you know, um, Jung was a big fan of this, so I'm a big fan of this. So um, when you choose, when you look at something like Teka, right, you look at something like the this impulse to life, right, this pleasurable impulse to life, instead of repressing it, right, Instead of looking at it like teka, right, and repressing it, you can look at it like tefiti, right? You can look at it as something that's beautiful, something to be sublimated, something to be beautified. And, um, and then what you can do is you say, I'm going to nurture this impulse. And even though it might have some in- inefficiencies, maybe inefficiencies is a better, is a good way of saying it. Even though this this part of me might have some problems, I still want to treat it like it's a part of me. I still want to treat it like it has value. And this is what I do. This is what I do in my in my eating habits, and it's been very successful over, we'll say, the last six months to a year. Probably longer. I don't know. We'll, we'll say six months to a year. So for what I've been doing is I eat incredibly healthy throughout the week. Right, and we'll say that satisfies my my desire to have pleasure from uh, have substance from food. Right, but every Sunday, what I do is I buy a little tub of strawberries. Right, just like a little. Eh, I mean, it's it's like a three dollar thing of strawberries, and I take down the whole thing of strawberries, always. And I have no sugar throughout the week, zero sugar or zero added sugar. I have nuts, and nuts have like one gram of sugar, natural sugar. But um. But every Sunday, I take down a whole thing of strawberries. And that's, that's, that's how I allow myself to 
for teka, or, or we'll say tefiti, right, in this case, if we're going to look at it like it's tefiti, like it has some sort of value, then I l allow that to manifest itself instead of completely repressing it. I don't choose to fight it, but instead I say, okay, I'm going to integrate you into a part of me, right? I'm going to integrate you into a part of my, we'll say, personality. And that's what Moana says, right? Moana says you could look at teka as teka, but don't fight it, right? Because if you look at it like teka, which you shouldn't, right, then then you're gonna lose. But the better way of doing it, and this is how this is how the Japanese think, and this is how you know, like the Taoists and the and the Buddhists and all of them, they believe that you look at these natural impulses as something to be revered and you integrate them as a part of you and that's the representation of of putting the heart back saying i am gonna i am going to take life itself and put it back into my we'll say personality right or my world right my world because we're saying moan is part of your world and therefore is going to be a part of me and i'm going to water that part of my garden so that's that's the meaning behind that so now we could, we could take that and we could say, okay, how does that relate to the hero killing dragon myth, right? Because they're two, they're two sort of different things, but they're, but they're similar, right? It's, it's a different step. So, right, because typically when we think of, when we think of good and evil, right? When we think of good and evil, we think of, we'll say something resembling God, right? And then something resembling the devil, Right, and this obviously plays out in in every single uh, mythology quite differently, but that that's kind of how we see it, right? And that's that's the idea of Harry Potter killing Voldemort. You know, it's super simple. Here's good, here's evil, defeat it, right? And that's something that we innately understand, right? Like, of course, that makes sense, but um, but maybe maybe it's not that simple, right? Like, maybe the hero slaying the dragon is like. Well, it doesn't explain everything, right? It doesn't explain everything. And we've been kind of, well, we've been kind of developing this idea as we go through. Because if you remember, that is the original sin, right? The original sin of man, right? Or the original sin of humans is that we want to fight the dragon, right? That we want to fight the villain. And this is Maui's flaw. Maui says, I am going to be the traditional hero. And, um, and this movie says there's something wrong with that. Right and and we're gonna try to understand exactly why that is and and we well we've been developing it as we sort of go along and we say that whenever we try to fight our animalistic impulses you end up losing first of all right you end up um, either losing right or even if you're successful you repress a part of yourself because you know we'll we'll take a we'll we'll go with the example of let's see if I can come up with a good one. I was coming. I made a list the other day. Well, we'll go. We'll go with a, a more social example because we've been working with like sleep, sex, and and food, and these are these are the most basic functions. But maybe we'll make it a little bit more, you know, complex. So, one of the things that that typical agreeable people really struggle with is um is they let people walk on them. Like think 
walk on top of them, right? Think of like the idea of a doormat, right? It's it's the person who somebody will will violate their bo- their boundaries a little bit or violate their privacy or they'll, they'll start making fun of them a little bit and they just don't say anything about it. You know, it's um well it's like It's like your friends start start making like a little joke, you know, and it starts to become a running joke. And all you had to do the first time we'll say somebody started calling you what stupid, right? Whatever. The first time somebody started calling you stupid, all you had to say is, hey, listen, I don't like that. Right? Like, just don't call me stupid. And, and it's that simple. But what happens is then you, you're not confrontational enough and you don't want to, you don't want to hurt the vibes or anything like that. Or let's say, you know, you're, you're in your house and maybe your roommate leave something on the floor next to you and all you got to say is you know hey listen just you know pick up your clothes but you just don't do it because we we like to avoid conflict especially agreeable people we really like to avoid conflict so let's say that's we're repressing a part of us right and um and we're repressing something that resembles life right we're doing something that now you know we're we're getting rid of in, in a more abstract representation maybe we're getting rid of the natural flow of human interactions, right? Because the problem is, well, if you ever try to have any sort of relationship with somebody, right? Literally any sort of relationship, we'll go with a friendship here, there are gonna be some negative moments, right? And and you need to, you need to have those negative moments because if not, then nobody sets boundaries and everything's just kind of good vibes and then you have someone being too agreeable, which is exactly what's happening here. Somebody starts calling you stupid and you say, okay, I really didn't like that they're calling me stupid, but I'm just gonna kind of laugh it laugh it off and you know see if it doesn't, doesn't really... Um, doesn't really play out. So in that case, you're maybe removing the ne- the negative aspect of conversations, which is removing life. So, well, also a big part of it is you're repressing your own anger, right? You're repressing your own um, feelings, right? And that's also a representation of life. So that's Maui pulling out the um, the stone. And then what you have is you you see something like Teka form and Teka forms in the form of, well, maybe they, maybe they, your roommate starts putting clothes everywhere because he started to test the boundaries and he said, okay, he's not going to say anything. He's going to be a little bit of a pushover. Or maybe they start calling you stupid all the time. And then therefore you're going to get, you know, you're going to get a little bit pissed off. You know, you see this all the time in, in like supermarkets, right? If you ever see a parent with a kid and, um, and well, if, if they're a good parent, right? If you're, if you're raising a kid correctly, then if a kid does something in the supermarket, which is, which they shouldn't be doing in the supermarket, the parent actually should go up to them and say, you know, should give them some small form of discipline, you know, usually just the, you know, the the harsh tone of voice saying, don't do that, right? And by doing that, you, you make it clear to them, okay, this is the line, don't cross it, and then we can have a harmonious relationship, right? But what ends up happening, and this is, um, this was from Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life, what ends up happening is, um, one of his rules was don't make your children do anything that makes you dislike them. And if you're too agreeable and if you just don't stand up to them, right, don't stand up to your kid, which, you know, I tend to see that. You tend to see that all the time. Anytime you see a baby crying, right, in um, a baby or, or a child crying in a restaurant, like they shouldn't be doing that. that. That means that the parent isn't doing their job in disciplining the kid properly because, you know, children should learn up to some point that, um, that, Crying is not what we do in a polite society, right? Roughly speaking. And um, so 
So what ends up happening is then in all three situations, so clothes, getting called stupid and parents, what ends up happening is the the person who's getting harmed, right? The person who got life removed from them becomes a little bit resentful, right? They get a little mad. They're like, ah, oh, crap. Like, I really wish this kid would shut up or I really wish that, um, that they would stop calling me stupid or I really wish that my roommate just put his clothes on his side. But you never say anything about it, right? Because we, we're, we're so flawed, right? We're so flawed that we, that we don't go up to the other person and say, hey, listen, can you please just put your clothes on your side of the room? Like, we just don't do that. So we let people step on over us. And then what happens is you, you repress your negative feelings and, well, you bottle up your emotions and you create something like Teka. So, so then the question is, what is the answer, right? Because that, that can't really be... Well, so that's, that's the meaning of the Lion King, right? If you were to look into it deeply, if you're looking into the meaning of the Lion King, the Lion King says, well, you have Simba, right, who was raised correctly and was doing very well, and then he had some traumatic event, right? Some, we could call it a scar, right? An emotional scar happens to him. And then you have Scar, right? Who's, who's scarred, right? And the, and the reason behind why he's scarred, we have no idea, but all we know is that he carries his his past with him, right? He hasn't been able to let go. That's, that's well, that's the meaning of Scar, right? So, then Simba goes on this journey, and as he goes into the land of Hakuna Matata, right, and I, I dig deeper into this into in um in my Lion King lecture, you know, as he goes deeper into Hakuna Matata, um, which is sort of like running away from his kingdom, then he's not well. He's still carrying the scar with him, right? He's still not very well put together, and he's still being hurt by the fact that his father died, right? And what is what must he do? He must overcome his um his feeling of, we'll say, resentment towards his father, right? And resentment towards himself and also, you know, his his childish ways. He must overcome this, we'll just go with the emotional scar. And then what does he do in the end? He fights Scar, right? And then obviously when he defeats Scar, he defeats his, his um, he overcomes his emotions and therefore we have a, well, a non-damaged individual or someone who is who has who doesn't carry their past with them right so that's the representation of um of that you know that's that's a good way of putting it but let's let's look at it from a different perspective we'll look at it from a from an integration perspective which i find to be a lot more useful right because the only thing that the lion king says you know roughly is don't be resentful Right? Don't be resentful. Overcome it, and um, and something like don't run from the past. Learn from it. Right? Something like that. It's not. It's not as deep as as this. What it's really saying is, in this case, you have something like Tikka, right? And we'll go with the example of someone, uh, someone calling you stupid, right? Or we'll, we'll go with the three examples, right? Someone calls you stupid. So um, so you begin begin to become resentful, and then you become Teka, right? And maybe maybe that, that comes out in a in an angry burst of, of anger or maybe some gossip, right? Where you're just like, oh, I really freaking hate my roommate. Like, he's really pissing me off. And, you know, and that starts to bubble up within you. Or maybe you just never say anything and you just get pissed because you get walked all over. So, um, you know, Teka manifests itself in some way. And then the question is, what do you do about it, right? What do you do about it? Do you 
in the, in the traditional sense, do you just defeat your villain and just you know confront your confront the problem, right? This would this would be the traditional way. Confront the problem, stand up to it, and then and then win, right? That's that's roughly what it means. And this one says instead, maybe, right? That yeah, yeah, like that's just not enough, right? This one says maybe you should integrate Teka and Tefiti. You should integrate this animal side of you and life itself. And if you integrate these two ideas, or if we're gonna go with the um with the traditional you know, if we're gonna go with not the traditional sense, the um the realistic sense, right? Applying it to real life, if you integrate your anger, right, or if you integrate this would be something like monstrosity into yourself, right? If you integrate aggressiveness into yourself properly, then it can manifest itself properly. So instead of saying, hey, listen, maybe you should confront your demons, you say, maybe instead of doing it all in one action, maybe you should change your personality. Maybe you should change the underlying personality to integrate monstrosity, integrate ag- aggression into you in a proper in a proper way. And... Well, the, the meaning of that would be sort of, well, when somebody steps on your toes a little bit, right? When somebody, when somebody makes the first mistake, you, you, it's, it's already a part of you. It's, part, it's already a part of your personality. And then you just say, hey, listen, can you just put the, you know, put the clothes on your side or put the clothes in the hamper? Or can you, you know, the parent goes up to the kid and says, shh, right? Like disciplines him on the spot instead of, instead of maybe becoming resentful of, of their own child or, you know, or, you know, if someone calls you stupid, say, hey, listen, I don't like being called stupid, cuts it off right away, done. You set your boundaries, right? And that's integrating monstrosity into your ongoing personality, right? Like throughout now, now, if you do something like integration, which this movie um, recommends, recommends is a good word, because it does recommend, it says that you can integrate Teka into you. You and take Teka and Tefiti. So so your normal we'll say normally your Tefiti and um you integrate a little bit of Teka inside of you. And you know, we look down upon this idea of like monstrosity or or um or aggressiveness, but I actually I actually wrote a whole paper on this. It's like no, no, maybe maybe we just need a little bit of it. And maybe it needs to be well socialized because nobody likes a pushover, right? A pushover is somebody who is completely non-aggressive. Teka is not even a part of them. They have completely sworn off, we'll say, the devil, right? If you wanna, if you wanna say something like that, if you wanna classify it like a devil, and um, and then they're a pushover, right? And well, what do you get out? What do you get out of being a pushover, right? Like you, like you're not, you're not the person that you should be. You, you don't. Well, I don't think anyone likes being a pushover. So the answer in this sort of integration idea is maybe integrate the devil and the, we'll say, God within you, the divinity within you, put it together, and then you have a fully formed being. And maybe they're the same person. That's a really, really beautiful idea, right? It's a beautiful idea. And and then, and then what's going to happen, right? So, so it says, okay, now that you've, now that you've integrated this into a part of you, what happens? And the, the answer is the negative manifestation of 
whatever you've been repressing, right? In this case, it would be anger, right? Or not anger, confrontation, right? We'll say ongoing confrontation or monstrosity, right? That thing that you've been repressing and that that negative manifestation of it, which would be teka, which would be anger, you know, screaming, um, gossip, like all these things, it would be, it would, it would be, it would go away, right? Because now it's being integrated into one fully formed being into tefiti, right? So that's, that's sort of the meaning behind it. And, and we'll get back to how that, so now we'll see how that relates to the, the traditional hero story, right? The traditional hero story is obviously, um, kill off, hero kills villain, right? Hero kills villain and therefore kills off the part of himself that he could be. So we'll go back to this idea of the maze, right? So you have Potter and Voldemort. They essentially start at the same spot, right? They, they both have a really crappy childhood and they need to, well, overcome that, right? And that's the same idea with, um, with the Lion King, right? So they take 20 steps, and we'll say that's the first 20 years of their life. Actually, no, we'll go with 10 years of their life. It's the first 10 years of their life, and um, and they're at the same point, right? Voldemort and Harry Potter are at the same point, which is kind of scary, right? Because you could say, okay, on path A, the same exact person, one person could turn into Potter, one person could turn into Voldemort, and it's true, right? It's true. It's like, if you don't handle yourself properly in the world, you know, then then you could become evil, right? And evil's there are so many ways of manifesting evil, but you can become evil. And well, you could see, you know, men who cheat on their wives or women who cheat on their wives. There's like I think fifty percent of women cheat on their husbands, and um, and fifty six percent of men cheat on their wives. It's like, well, isn't that a form of evil, right? Even though even though it's not like complete hero villain idea it's like you know you 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 wrote a contract and you broke the contract and you know the contract implies trust between you and your partner and the person that you committed to spending the rest of your life with and you cheated it's like why does that happen and um and we, we just answered the question we're like i don't know i don't know i didn't want to i didn't want to be evil right i didn't want to cheat it's just I was just kind of like possessed by it, right? And you could say you're possessed by Teka, and that's that's the idea. You were you repressed a part of you. You repressed, we'll say the the part of you that wants to well, either have sex with multiple people, which is, you know, look up the Coolidge effect if you're interested in that, Calvin Coolidge. And uh, or or you repressed maybe some anger that you had for your for your spouse, and then what happens is it manifests itself in, in something like cheating, and you say that's evil, and I, I would agree, that's something like evil, so, um, and 56% of people do it, or we'll say 53 if we're going to average it out, so 53% of do it, people do it, it's like, maybe we're all evil in some sense, or maybe we all have this monstrosity, if you don't, if you don't look at it like that, if you don't see that you have something like that, if you just kind of ignore it, then, well, you have a problem, right? Then, then it, it probably, it's more likely to manifest itself within you because you're ignorant about it, right? Like, I don't think, I don't think, you know, when people sign their marriage contract, I don't think everyone says, well, there's about a 50% chance that I'm going to cheat. And, um, and that's not going to be me, right? So for the people who say that's not going to be me, it's like, give a one in two chance of it being you. So, you know, maybe you should, maybe you should, think about that a little bit more deeply but so you imagine right you have 
you take 20 steps, and they're at the same point. Harry Potter and Voldemort, Simba and Scar, you know. And, um, and well, you say, okay, there there's one path where Harry Potter could be Potter, and there's one path where Harry Potter could be Voldemort. And there's one path where Voldemort could be Potter, and there's one path where Voldemort could be Voldemort. So the question is, what is it that makes the difference, right? And um, the traditional hero-killing villain idea doesn't solve that. The traditional hero-killing villain idea says, well, let's zoom forward 30 steps to see that Potter took 30 good steps and Voldemort took 30 bad steps, and then they're going to fight each other and say Harry Potter wins, so you should take the 30 good steps, right? That's, that's the traditional idea. I really don't love that because it says what happens in the 30 steps, right? How, do you, how does Voldemort become Voldemort, and how does Harry Potter become Harry Potter, and Movies kind of make up for this. Stories kind of make up for this, where you have that like traditional idea of the of the villain, you know, um, gives like three, you know, he has the hero sort of like tied up, and it looks like he's about to win. So what happens is he says his you know evil diabolical plans for about like two or three minutes, you know, and you see that in almost every movie where you have the hero like explaining who he is because well then you could put a face on it, and maybe we could try to infer what happened in that 30 steps, but that's, you know, is, is that, is that good, right? Like, what, what does that say? It says, don't be evil, don't be bad, you know, and that doesn't really say much. It, it's like, you know, let's see if I could come up with a good example. Avengers, right? One, one thing in Avengers is you have someone like Thanos who, you know, he's, he's a little bit sad because he realizes that overpopulation is a problem and it actually hurt him personally. So what does he say? He goes, I'm going to wipe out half the population of the world so that we could, you know, essentially bring the population down so we don't have to worry about it for a while. And, um, and there's something that we feel that's wrong about that, right? Like, we, it just feels wrong. Like, killing off half of the people of the world just doesn't feel right. So, um, so the Avengers go and stop him, right? And then what is the, what, and then they kill Thanos. And what is the, what is the representation behind that? The meaning is, you know, Thanos had this crazy ideology. Don't have that ideology and be the hero. That's all you got. That's all you got. But what is the integration idea says? The integration idea says, if you are both Harry Potter and Voldemort are at 20 steps, right? They're both at the same point. If you decide to integrate life as a part of you, right? If you decide to integrate it into your personality, right? And also, if you decide to integrate something like Teka into your personality, if you want to, well, we'll just say if you don't want to remove the heart of Tefiti, which is exactly what, what led Voldemort to be Voldemort, right? That's exactly what Voldemort's problem was. He was you know, detached from life and obviously resentful and mean and all these things, right? So if you were to, um, if you are to keep your roots with life, right? Keep yourself grounded and not let this negative manifestation of you, we'll say, emerge, right? And to get in touch with Teka, integrate these ideas into your personality, integrate these personalities into your main personality, which is your ego, then you can end up where Potter ended up. You could end up in the right spot. So it gives an idea. It gives a, it gives a path, right? It explains how to go on the path. It says integrate 
every aspect of you instead of fighting it. Right? That's the idea. And that's the reason why Potter and Voldemort split. It's because Harry Potter, you can see as you go along, Harry Potter, you know, he's... Him and Voldemort are, are essentially in communication the whole time, right? Every Everything... Like, he could see what Voldemort's seeing. So he, so Harry Potter's integrated the monstrosity inside of himself, right? He's integrated that part of him, and therefore he can emerge as good. But that's not, that's not the main idea. That's not the hero-killing villain, right? The main idea in Moana is exactly that. It says, okay, integrate, integrate monstrosity as a part of you. Integrate life itself as a part of you, and then you, don't, you won't become Voldemort. So instead of giving you the results, it gives you the process. And, um, and that's why I like the integration idea a lot more. And it's, it's a lot more applicable, right? It's a lot more applicable because it says, you know, for example, you have something like sleep, right? If we're going with the traditional hero myth, right? It would say there's the, there's the potential you that slept eight hours a night who's a good guy, right? And probably is, you know, good guy or girl and is probably, you know, pretty good as a, as a boss and as a person and as a, as a member of society. And then there's the part of you that, that slept six hours a night and you should kill off the part of you that's six hours a night, that sleeps six hours a night, kill off that potential you. It's like, okay, you know, it doesn't really help me much, but this integration idea says maybe you should take the, 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 per, the potential you that s- could sleep six hours and understand him, get to know him, get to, get to see what his motivations are, and therefore you can, well, then the negative manifestation of you, which would be, you know, the angry boss, right? The person who slept only six hours, the angry boss who, who never really, you know, who lashes out and doesn't get his work done will never manifest itself. So it's it's a lot more applicable. It, it gives you the causal. Well, it gives you it gives you a map. It gives you a path. So um. So that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um. That's probably the end of the integration idea, and then we just keep moving on. So you know, then Maui obviously he's done his little sacrifice here, so he gets a hook, and um. And you could say life ends up, you know, the the goddess comes back onto the earth, and you could say life is restored, right? The heart of Tefiti is restored. You can see this is her head right here. This is her this is her torso, right? These are her legs. So um So that's pretty nice. And then obviously Moana, right? Now we finish out Moana's hero's journey. She goes, you know, she she reunites with her dad, which is great. And then here's the best part. She teaches her dad, right? She teaches she she takes the lessons that she learned and then she integrates them back into society. And that's, you know, well, that's the same idea of integration. It's like, okay, you take the, you take the, the person that you are and you take the society that that is, and you, you sort of mesh them together and you say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, well, make, make them make my society integrated because, you know, we're so detached from our, from the people that we once were and we were not in touch with our adventurous self so therefore we should probably integrate that into a part of ourselves, which is what a good hero does and here she's showing her dad how to do that right so that's the idea of you know we don't really have to get into it here but that's the idea of pulling your father out from the belly of the whale 
right? That's, you know, she's rescuing her dad from the, from the depths of his failure, right? Because he always wanted to adventure, but he wasn't able to, to break the mold, right? So since Moana broke the mold, he's, he's able to represent that part of himself, right? And that's, well, that's good, right? That's good. You see that idea play out in, in Star Wars, same thing, right? Like Darth Vader becomes Darth Vader and then he eventually becomes a hero again. That's that's the idea. And then we have the final idea, the final idea that really plays itself out. You know, we had this symbolism before of the rocks really stacking themselves up and, um, you know, security. Actually, no, this is the same idea as this one here, right? So you have security and stability have ruled the kingdom for years, but, but, Obviously, Moana takes her little seashell and um, and says, I'm going to break the mold. I'm going to be different. And I'm going to sh- represent a different part of myself that hasn't been represented through the generations, which is adventurousness, which is a different part of myself that, um, that the previous leaders have failed to do. So, um, and then that is the end of Moana. That is the end of Moana. Um... Yeah, yeah. So um, I just wanted to, this is always where I end up giving a plug for my book, you know, so I the reason why I made this lecture series is because of this book right here. This is Break Your Bad Habits in 150 Pages, A Hero's Journey. This is a book that I wrote very recently, and it essentially says, you know, well, we struggle with all the ideas that I've been talking about, you know, eating, smoking, you know, lack of sleep, you name it, right? Like all these bad habits that we struggle with, it's... um. The answers lie in these stories, right? The answers lie in being a hero. So um, so I took the idea of the hero's journey, and I eventually, well, said, okay, I'm going to make this 150 pages, and I'm going to make it easy for people to become a hero in their own life, to take these ideas and integrate them into themselves. So if you want to be a hero like Moana, and if you want to be a hero like all of the amazing, well, Maybe the traditional heroes, you know, all these amazing heroes that we see all the time in these movies. If you want to act out this idea and you really want to follow, we'll say, your path, right? Then um, then buy my book. The link is below on Amazon and, um, and become a hero. So that is the end of Moana. Thank you for staying on and take care. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you liked it, please subscribe.